Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Always have a busy day on Wednesdays, JB and Goldwater. Um, Todd 102.9 in Tuscaloosa. We're going to do a JC and Morgan podcast for you later. Got lots of stuff going on. <clears throat> so I uh, wanted to wait till after JB and Goldwater today to kind of get this one in. Uh, and certainly always good to talk with you about the Gamecocks. Going to have some mailbag questions coming up. Uh, again, if you want to get in on the mailbag, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Or email inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. I try to read them all, man. Try to read them all every single episode and certainly appreciate all of you uh, sending in your takes. And uh, I've had a lot of fun with that so far. I think that's one of the best parts of the podcast is we get all that in. You got a lot of, a lot of them here. So here we go. Um, as far as that goes, but we'll get to that second. Um, you know, I, I think that when you look at Carolina's defense, the first two games, and I threw out some stats, and, you know, they're top 30 in the country through two games in run defense. I think that's, you know, half the battle when you're in the SEC is you got to be able to stop the run. That's just something that's, um, you know, it, it just happens. I mean, you, you know, you, you stop the run and, uh, you're able to, um, you know, be successful a lot of the time. Uh, unfortunately, the Gamecocks have been giving up big plays in the passing game. Um, not too many yards against the Gators, but they did big play the Carolina Gamecocks to death with Kyle Trask and all that skill talent. And I think I think they're going to big play a lot of people this year, qu- quite frankly. I think Dan Mullen's got something going. Um, that's a team that's gotten used to winning. Uh, that's a team that's playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, I'll give Katerius Tony as an example. You know, that guy always has had talent, always has been an elusive guy, came there as a quarterback. Now he's like a complete receiver. Uh, so he's gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, just hats off to the Gators for the start that they've had. And then they got to play A&M this weekend. It never gets any easier. Tennessee's 2-0. They play at Georgia. We're going to find out some things about him or them. The Vols, obviously, against the Georgia Bulldogs. And that defense in Athens is, is elite. Um, so we'll find out. You know, I think I think you got to kind of sometimes have three games to kind of judge where you're at when you see what everybody else you've played has done uh, and all that. And, again, I get back to it's just unfortunate that, that this Gamecock team could not play the schedule that uh, originally was uh, on the docket for 2020 because I, I think the record would be a lot different. I think this team is better than last year's team. Uh, I think they've just made mistakes at critical moments that have hurt them in the first two games. And sometimes when you don't play a great team uh, in the first two games, which I don't think, you know, I think Coastal's probably better than East Carolina (laughs) right now. Um, When you don't play a great team, then uh, you can get by with that and still win the game. But, But you can't. And I'm not saying Tennessee's great or even Florida's great, but obviously it's it's University of Tennessee, University of Florida, not uh, Coastal and East Carolina and Missouri. So, you know, you can get by with it and still win, but you can't in the situation they're in, and that's why they're 0-2 uh, mistakes, you know, mistakes at critical moments and, you know, lack of uh, the ability uh, to stop some big plays on defense. So 
you know, when people talk about changes, so I'm going to throw some changes out there that I, you know, just from my standpoint, I think maybe they should consider making. I don't know that they will, uh, but I would consider it. Um, and uh, I'll start with the defensive side of the ball. You know, first and foremost, I, I think I think Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch need more snaps. Um, and I know Jordan had the nice tackle on the screen for loss, but what impressed me was there was a play <clears throat> that they got out on the perimeter, Florida did, and he ran it down, backside pursuit. Uh, you know, that guy, you know, I haven't seen a defensive end track a guy down like that in a long time at South Carolina. I just think his talent and raw ability is there, and the more he plays, the better he's going to get. And, I, you know, I could make a uh, – I could make a, um, you know, big case for him to play more. Uh, same with Zach Pickens on the inside. I don't think that the buck position and the defensive tackle position are what's killing Carolina right now. Uh, I think if D-tackle was a huge issue, you'd probably see teams running the ball a little bit, a little bit more success against the Gamecocks. Um, Kier Thomas and um, Jabari Ellis are hanging in there, but I just think Pickens gives you something different, something special. Uh, on the inside, and then Birch, obviously his play more. Not calling for him to start or for anybody else to bent, be benched, but I think that they could play more. I, I think Jalen Dickerson over R.J. Roderick may be something they want to consider, um, and everybody's going to beat up on R.J. because he didn't have a great day on Saturday against the Gators. Um, he got challenged a little bit, and rightfully so. He's better than that. Um, he struggles a bit in coverage. I, I think Jalen Dickerson – you know, the times he's played, if you think about it, and we haven't seen him a whole lot. The times he's played and he's been healthy, he's, he's made some things happen. I mean, uh, he's persevered and he's back. And, you know, I, I don't know where the downside is to that. <clears throat> I know a lot of people are calling for Izzy McQuamu to play more safety. That, that's going to happen at times uh, when they put John Dixon in there, but that'll be probably more of a package. I think McQuamu is going to start at corner. Um, but then they'll, they'll slide him over or whatever and put Dickens in, Dick Dixon in. Uh, and I think John Dixon had a good game, quite frankly, against Florida. I thought he covered well. I thought the one pass interference penalty against him was highly questionable. Uh, I don't know if he was wearing the other helmet that that would have been called. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything there, but uh, that was very, very ticky-tack. Even when you looked at it from the other angle, he had his hands on him a little bit, but it didn't impact the play. Um, I don't know. I thought it was good defense. I thought he played good defense. Uh, but you're going to see that, I think, probably more moving forward. Uh, and then Will Linebacker, you know, I, I think if they could get Jamar Brown back, you know, that would probably help some at that position. I don't know that Muhammad Kaba is quite ready to go over there. Uh, I think Damani Staley plays hard, don't get me wrong. Uh, but Jamar Brown's a guy that can play Will. He can play Dime. Um, very athletic guy, uh, faster type of guy on defense. And so, you know, maybe that's an answer there for some snaps once he gets healthy, but I don't know, you know, his situation. He's been one of those uh, injuries that's lingered a little bit, quite frankly. Uh, and that happens, tends to happen around here uh, where guys have injuries and you just don't quite know when they're going to come back. But that, I think on defense, I think that they're, they're close. You know, this is not a defense that uh, I think necessarily is is going to be bad this year. I mean, we've seen some defenses 
at South Carolina at times that just don't have a chance. Um, and go back to the end of 2018 when they're just playing freshmen out there, or, you know, go back to 2014 when they blew leads and stuff like that. You know, that those defenses just didn't have a shot, you know, because of personnel or whatever. I, I still believe they have personnel. Um, I just think they maybe need to tweak it a little bit or not. Maybe guys just need to play better. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the overall body of work for the defense, you know, these first two games has been that bad. You know, I'll put it that way. I think that at key moments in games, they need to step up better. You know, you, you can't when you need to stop. And look, against against Florida, they did. I mean, they got – it was 24-14. They got the stop to start the second half. You know, and I believe that was the – you know, then the offense all of a sudden went backward. But um, they got the start, stop to start the second half, and then – you know, some key stops did not happen later and they couldn't get Tony on the ground uh, or whatever on the long play. But um, I think, you know, they're playing an offensive football team this weekend that struggled to score. It has a lot of youth, uh, not a lot of guys that I, I would consider super duper talents. Uh, maybe they, they are, but they're not proven. Um, I think Vanderbilt's got some decent young quarterbacks they like. You know, a lot of respect for Todd Fitch. He used to be at South Carolina um, and has been with Skip Holtz for a long, long time. Um, you know, runs a very multiple system that, that, you know, could present some problems. But, you know, look, you, you look at Vanderbilt first two games, you look at Carolina first two games, these are different 0-2 teams, you know. And I know Vandy played A&M really close, and A&M's got their own set of issues. But, uh, you know, LSU last week took it to them. And, and that's, you know, I, I just don't see where, you know, if you look at it again, the first two games where South Carolina's inferior to Vanderbilt at, at any spot on the field. So it's a game they definitely should win. It's a, it's a must win, folks. I mean, you know, I always say there's no such thing, but in this situation, there is, it's, it's a must win. The Gamecocks have to go up to Nashville and win. And then, after that, you reset and you get ready for Auburn and LSU and Texas A&M, which, which sounds a lot more daunting than maybe it is this particular year. Uh, and you try to salvage it. I mean, you know, that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, this is nothing that being, what, three and three maybe, heading into Oxford, Mississippi, first uh, of November can't, can't solve. I mean, it's, it's a situation where – you know, I think that, um, you know, th there is some opportunity there, uh, maybe more so th than we thought at the beginning of the year. I think that the tendency normally would be to go, well, if you're not going to beat Florida and Tennessee or both or one, how are you going to beat Auburn and A&M, those teams from the West? And, you know, again, through two games, I just don't know. I don't know that Auburn and Texas A&M are really, really good like they normally are. <clears throat> I think they have talent but I don't know how great they are. Um, and so you solve that. Now I'll say this, even if they turn it around, which is, you know, I look, just go beat Vanderbilt first and then we can talk about all the rest. Uh, I think winning, winning the Vanderbilt game gives you some confidence, maybe clean some things up. And then you, you just have what, what you have in front of you is just opportunity and opportunity doesn't always mean it works out. But um the, the bigger issue, though, is you lost those two games, and now it's two in a row against Tennessee, three in a row against Florida. Th those teams, you're losing ground in the division. 
because you've lost, you know, five of six to Kentucky, four of five to Georgia, uh, you know, and now three straight to Florida, two straight to Tennessee, you know, and I always talk about the division guys, you know, in terms of that's, you know, people talk about Clemson, they talk about, you know, winning the SEC and the SEC is tough, but that division, that that's where you got to make your sausage. If you're the Gamecocks, you know, you have to, you know, South Carolina was arguably the best team in that division for three straight years, four straight years. And all those 11 and two teams, you know, if you look at the records, they, you know, normally beat the division champs. You know, I think they did beat the division champs three years in a row. Um, they very rarely lost an East game. Um, and you, you got to kind of get back to competing uh, in, the, in that manner. I mean, Tennessee and Florida historically, you know, you go back to the 90s, those those were the big dogs, Tennessee, Florida, and then Georgia. Georgia was probably that third team. But South Carolina can't just, you know, concede all that ground to them. And unfortunately, that's what happened this year. But you got to you got to suck it up and see uh, see what happens um, moving forward, you know, and and take your chances against the West. And, it, and it's just that kind of crazy year where that could be a path to get to a bowl. But Vanderbilt's first, you know, you, you got to beat Vandy. And that is an SEC East team. If you lose to Vandy, uh, I think the, the things to start to come unraveled. Um, I really won't know what to say, you know, if, if South Carolina loses that football game. There's no reason for them to. Uh, I think the Gamecocks certainly, you know, have better players. I think they're a better football team, um, you know, and, and we'll see. You know, it's, it's up there, no fans. There could be a monsoon, could be some rain. But uh, I think that, you know, it's a game the Gamecocks definitely definitely need to win. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. Um, offense, you know, I, like I said, I, I think, you know, Rico Powers got in there the second half. Leggett had a groin. Um, you know, Powers did have a drop in the game earlier, just like Xavier Leggett had a big 22 year old yard gain on the first drive and then had some drops. But, uh, you know, I thought Powers at the end there, you know, got in there and caught that little pass and made a nice run and looked pretty good. Uh, he looks kind of like a guy that can help. He needs to keep coming on. You know, I don't know what the deal with Luke Doty is. Um, you know, as far as him getting in and playing. But uh, I certainly think it, unless he's dropping passes at practice, uh, I'd maybe try him a little bit uh, just to see what happens. And then, you know, I, I kind of said last week I, I really liked what I saw energy-wise out of Zaquandre White. They're still really high on him. He just – I think he's just taking time to get a little bit more ready health-wise. And you're going to see him. Plus, you know, Kevin Harris – that was kind of Kevin Harris's game Saturday, you know, 22 carries for 100 yards. Uh, and then I thought Fenwick got in there and ran really hard. That fumble was unfortunate, but he got, ran really hard. Both those guys caught the ball out of the backfield pretty well, too. They were the second and third leading receivers. So um, that's working. That's part of the offense that's working well, the running back passing game, <laughs> if you will. Um you know, I think the offensive lines played relatively well for six quarters. It's unrealistic to sit there and expect a dominant offensive line performance in the SEC. Um, you know, Ja'Kai Moore had some some struggles on Saturday uh, individually, but I thought the rest of them played pretty well. Uh, I still think Dylan Wanham's a better right tackle than left, but 
if they can't go find a left tackle, then I guess Dylan Wanham's got to play it. Uh, but they had some good run, good blocks in the run game. I thought he pass protected relatively well. Colin Hill had some time to throw the ball. Um, you're going to have some sacks. You're going to give up some sacks when you're playing a Todd Grantham defense. But I, I think for the last six quarters, going back to the second half against Tennessee, they've played pretty well. Um, and so they need to continue to, to come on and, and play well. And you got an opportunity against Vandy this weekend. Um, you know, Kevion Mullins caught a pass on Saturday. You know, maybe he gets in the patterns a little more. I think as kind of a split tight end, he's got some ability you know, to get out there. And, you know, sometimes you catch that first one and you get in a, a rhythm and, and you make some things happen. I don't know where to carry and Joyner is. I know it's got to be very frustrating for him right now. Um, because the whole idea about going to receiver is you get on the field and he's a, he's a great athlete. And I think learning the position, when, when people talk about that, it's he's having trouble getting separation, you know, and learning the nuances of the route running uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, I, I still believe this team really could use Jalen Brooks to get eligible, and I don't have any update on that. Uh, I know that there's some, uh, I know Florida got a kid eligible just this week. I think Jordan Pouncey that came in from Texas. So I guess the NCAA is still kind of plowing through it. But it certainly would be helpful for this team if Brooks got eligible because, you know, he's a guy with experience that's played in actual college football games. Um, I think he's got good hands. And, you know, he, he's a guy that was that number two guy, you know, number two, number three guy uh, in the preseason. And so I think Carolina – Really could use him so the NCAA could help the Gamecocks out there, um, you know, especially in a couple of weeks. You know, if the Vandy game, I think Carolina's going to be fine. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, you get Brooks back for Auburn and for that stretch against the West, that's going to be important for the passing game. Because once you get a couple other guys going, you know, th this thing is going to quit being so compact in terms of, you know, not going down the field as much because you're going to have some more opportunities there. Uh, I think what they're doing now is taking what the defense gives them and staying on the field because, you know, they they want to. They're going to be and, – and they're still going to be methodical. Um, you can you can write that down. You know, this, this team's going to be 10-play Carolina this year. You know, they're going to want to have long drives and keep the defense off the field and score and shorten the game, and that's fine because I think that's the best recipe for success for this football team. And quite frankly, they're not bad at it. You know, they're really not. I mean, they're pretty good at these longer drives and grinding out first downs and the run game's working. And so, you know, it's, the stats aren't going to be pretty in terms of yards per play and things like that. But, I, you know, I'm, I think that what they're doing now puts them in the best position to win. It's just when you have – you know, because eventually Shy Smith's not going to have double-digit catches. You know, somebody's going to slow him down a little bit, you know, because 22 catches in two games, that's an awful lot. Um, so eventually that's not going to happen. And, and so eventually you're going to need some other guys to step up. Jalen Brooks will be on my radar along with Rico Powers and some other guys to, to do that. So, um, but, yeah, I think the offensive line's playing well. Uh, and has for the last six quarters. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you sort of just look at it overall. And, again, there's some bright spots. But 
when the losses are piling up, it's hard to see those. And I'm not blowing sunshine up anybody's behunkus here. I, I don't think that's a positive thing to do. Um, uh, you know, you got the meme with the dog, with the flames. You know, I'm not doing that. I, I'll admit it. The losses are piling up. This is not good. There's nothing positive about the start of this season. And really, there's been not a lot positive with the exception of two weeks where you beat Kentucky and you beat Georgia last year. Um, not a lot of positives, you know, since that Florida game in 2018. And that's just the way it is. You know, so, so there, there's two options here for this football program. You can either fight your way out of it, you know, which I think Will Muschamp, that, that's kind of what he would prefer to do. Yeah, everybody fights their way out of it. You get better. You go beat Vandy. You have some confidence and you go, you know, you get in the game against Auburn and instead of making mistakes like you made against Tennessee and Florida, you don't. And maybe you got a shot to win. You know, then you go take on the challenge at LSU and you take on the challenge against A&M and Ole Miss. Missouri uh, then then Georgia comes to town and you go to Kentucky to end the season so that's uh you know the, there's still a chance to put together a pretty good season I mean it's it's it stinks to high heavens this team started 0-2 but I've seen teams that start 0-2 dig their way out of holes um before that really probably didn't have as much going for them as the Gamecocks do so it can be done but, you know, there, that's one option is fight your way out. The other option is just to go fold up the tent and say, ah, well, this is a lost year because of COVID and, you know, throw the excuses out there. And, you know, then all of a sudden nobody's happy. And it's a long, long off season, especially if there's no coaching change. A long, long off season. We thought this year was long. Game cognition, if, if people, if they pack it up, and this ends up being like a really, really bad one and nine ish, zero and ten ish, two and eight ish kind of group. Um, it's going to be a long, long off season, especially if the university's not in a position to make any sort of change. And that's, uh, you know, that's that's tough to even think about because I, I think this team's better than a two and eight type of outfit. You know, I think this team's got some positive things. I just went through some of them. I think a lot of this is slight corrections. And unfortunately, when you start with Tennessee and Florida, you know, if you if you don't have, you know, you have the mistakes and you, you don't have those games to make the corrections that can get you beat. But look, I'm going to say this, you know, if you're University of Tennessee, let's say Brian Edward or Brad Johnson does not decide to rush the passer on the flea flicker and he gets a pick six in that game. Uh, let's say Colin Hill doesn't throw the pick six. Carolina wins that one. If you're Tennessee, you're going, well, dang, we didn't have Chattanooga or whoever to, to work out the kinks, you know, you, 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 you know, because you, you can say that about anybody. If you're LSU, you're probably saying that. Oh, man, I mean, wish we had a game to work out the kinks before we had to go play Mississippi State. Um, you know, and that's just kind of the way it is. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, a little recruiting note, checking in with some contacts about Michael Trigg over the weekend. They still feel pretty good about him. Um, I, I always kind of take any kind of recruiting scoop I get with a grain of salt because, you know, with an out-of-state kid like that, you never know. He's from Tampa. And he's got Southern Cal, LSU, uh, big-time offers. So, you, you know, you're always kind of hesitant about things like that. Uh, when it comes to out-of-state players, I, I think I'm much more 
I guess, um, trusting of in-state guys that, you know, want to stay close to home and all that. Uh, although I do understand the concern about Tyrion Ingram Dawkins and you can bet that, you know, the more Carolina loses, the more your Georgia's of the world, Tennessee's of the world, North Carolina's of the world are going to sit there and, and beat up on the Gamecocks and, and try to get him out of state. So, I mean, that that's just how it is. You can't, continue to lose <laughs> and expect to get a kid like that, you know, even if he is in state, cause he's, he's, a, he's a great, great prospect. And Michael Trigg is too. I mean, you know, if Michael Trigg comes to care, you know, credit Bobby Bentley with a hell of a piece of recruiting on that one. I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a, a recruiting get if they get him in a year where they, they really have no business getting a guy like that. Um, so if it comes to fruition, uh, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's going to announce here soon. If it comes to fruition, then, you know, folks need to give Bobby Bentley a lot of credit going down there and recruiting him. All right, so that's all I have. So it's time to get to the mailbag. And we have a lot of them today. Uh, I wanted to make this one mailbag heavy. Uh, and so we'll go first on the tweeter and uh, go back a little bit. Justin says, at the Big Spur Pod. You tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Yesterday's show made me feel a little better. Reminded me of Alshon's and Sydney's starting slow helped. We've got dudes I know. I've just um, got to get some confidence after a few drinks. I was all kind of upset. Thanks, for JC, for being the level head. I mean, Justin, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. I, but I, I, I want to say you guys have a right to be a little upset. I mean – this is three and 12 in the last 15 against the power five is a bad record. And uh, you have a right to be upset. And, and, and it's tough because it just sort of is what it is that the Gamecocks had to play Florida and that they were number three, you know, or this early um, just kind of the luck of the draw. And that's unfortunate, but you know, at some point it doesn't really matter who you play. You just want them to win. You know, and I think this weekend hopefully will be a cure for that. But uh, yeah, Alshon and Sydney uh, started slow a little bit in their years, and then they ended up uh, ended up being really good. You know, especially in, you know, Alshon was like game four was the Kentucky game when he finally broke out in two thousand nine. So you know, maybe that's Rico Powers. Who knows? Uh, I think certainly it would be a great scenario for Carolina this weekend if some receiver other than Shai Smith had a big game. Because uh, then you're like, okay, there's a guy that's done it in the game. You can kind of count on, you know, now you're cooking with cooking with grease a little bit. If you got two, maybe three, plus the tight ends, plus the backs, passing game will be fine as long as nothing happens to Colin Hill. Um, Randy says – Always enjoy your optimism. I know. And look, and look, I, I've got a lot of people out there that don't enjoy optimism. And again, I'm not blowing sunshine. I'm just trying to kind of tell it like it is. Um, and as Lou Holtz said, things are never as good as they seem. They're never as bad as they seem. Um, you know, I'm just – I mean, and there were some bright spots. And uh, like, like the offensive line, you know, they had a bad first half against Tennessee. Everybody's just saying they suck. Well, that's not true. Go go watch the last six quarters. They played pretty well, especially when you compare them to some other offensive lines at South Carolina. Uh, and and look, that the, the the standards there, you have to understand, folks, about O-line, and this is not in response to Randy. Uh, 
the, the, in the SEC, you're just not going to, you're not going to have that. You know, you're going to have sacks and tackles for loss. You're, you're, the defensive lines you're playing are too doggone good. You know, Carolina got the Kyle Trask a couple of times this weekend and had an interception. I mean, it's just, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. Um, he says, I think one of Muschamp's problems is not playing the next guy. Spurrier always said a coach's best friend is the bench. Wide receivers drops, missed tackles, put them on the bench, let them know they have to earn it every day. The right kids will respond. I agree. And, and Muschamp, you know, he does bench guys sometimes, but it's not it's not kind of the same thing. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, if I were them on Saturday, and like I said, I went through some potential changes earlier you know, just for my stupid opinion, for whatever that's worth. And like I said, I don't, I'm not reporting that these will happen. This is just my opinion. You know, Jalen Dickerson got in there and played pretty well. You know, I thought. Jalen Dickerson played well. Johnny Dixon is playing well. So if you got issues in the secondary, you know, maybe those guys play more. Because I think right now they're playing well. Um, the receivers, you know, Leggett got hurt. In came Powers. Powers answered the call somewhat with a big catch late good for a true freshman maybe he gets his feet wet and he's the he's the guy but yeah you're right um i was on jb and goldwater earlier and they brought up the fact that michael flint was starting at receiver back in the early spurrier years (laughs) um and actually played pretty well you know at times uh along with chris clark who was a walk-on quarterback from lexington that switched uh, I think they started out with Travis Lee and Noah Whiteside as the starters at receiver that year, and then they all got passed. So, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. I think, um, you know, I think that's uh, – you're right, you know, as far as coach's best friend is the bench. You know, you just bring the next guy in. That's what he does. And it, it's crazy because I've seen a lot of uh, Spurrier nostalgia today. It's the – it's, there's two anniversaries. I think it's the, the the eighth anniversary of the game against Georgia where they won 35-7. It's also the fifth anniversary of the game at LSU that got moved because of the thousand-year flood or whatever. And that was also Coach Spurrier's last game at South Carolina back in 2015. He resigned that next Monday. So uh, a lot of Spurrier nostalgia, and I understand it. I totally understand it. I'm, I, I think it's – it's titanically unfair to compare Will Muschamp to Steve Spurrier early in his career. But when you get this far in and you're thinking back to the good old days, there are going to be questions like that. Well, this is the way this guy did it and it worked for him. So why isn't, why is it not working now? And so I get it, but Randy, as always great tweet. Um, I'm going to go ahead and retweet these two from at the big spur pod folks. Follow that at the Big Spur Pod. Jordan tweets at us, and he says, J.C., the Big Spur Pod, is Jared Garantano the worst four-year starter at quarterback in SEC history? If not, who is? Has to be a guy that started at least a significant chunk of all four years. I don't know. I'd let Jared and his career play out. I mean, just – and look, I've never been a big fan. Don't get me wrong. I was, like, against it. (laughs) I was, like – and then he, they put him in, and they lost every SEC game, and they lost to Georgia State. And it, you know, I've never been like a big Garantano guy. I can't think. A lot of these guys didn't last that long, though. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about it. 
And uh, like Mississippi State had this guy that started against the Gamecocks the first game of the 2006 season. And, uh, you know, this guy was not that good at all. Um, and uh, I think he ended up getting knocked out of – Brinkley knocked him out of that game. And I was like, why do they keep starting him, you know? Uh, and, and so I think about that. But, I, you know, as far as the worst – I mean, that lasted four years. I mean, was there somebody at LSU? That, I, mean, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I'll say this about Jared Garantano. The kid stays in the pocket and he fires the football and he, get, you know, as good as their offensive line is, he still takes a beating. And he's really good at making plays under pressure. Um, that's one thing I'll say for him and, you know, Wish him the best of luck this weekend against Georgia because that defense is unbelievable that they have in Athens. Um, and I thank you, Jordan, for your Twitter question. Now we go to the inbox. And that, that thing's blowing up the last couple of days. And, again, this is a this is an inbox heavy – or, I'm sorry, mailbag heavy episode. I always like to read all of these. All right, Mark says – and his subject line is six-star podcast. I appreciate that, Mark. Hey, JC, what's your opinion of the defense? If not for the big plays, the defense may be ranked in the top 10 or 15 right now. They seem to be stopping the run fairly well, minus the Kyle Trask keeper on the speed option where nobody took the quarterback. Yeah, that was, that was a, again, mistakes, you know. You can't make mistakes. And, uh, and mistakes are killing this team right now. You know, assignment errors, things like that. Uh, his biggest concern is the linebacker play outside of Ernest Jones. And, look, I, I don't know that Damani Staley's played poorly. I think he's played pretty decent. Um, but I do think teams are going to try to start – they're going to find him on the field a little bit. Maybe in the maybe it's in the passing game uh, with a crossing route to the tight end. I, I don't know. So I, I think they got to get Jamar Brown back. Maybe play some more dime with R.J. Roderick over there's the dime linebacker. I, I don't know. I don't know what the technical answer is for it. Um, and, and, I, and I'm concerned a little bit about, you know, the interior of the defensive line just from the standpoint of, yeah, they've made it through not allowing a lot of rushing yards, but they're still undersized. And I still think Zach Pickens needs to be playing. Um, and, and, and I'm probably more concerned about – I'll say 40% of the secondary, if that makes any sense. Because um, I think some guys are playing at a high level. J.C. Horn's obviously playing at a high level. I think Jamie Robinson's playing at a high level. Uh, I think Izzy McQuamu at times played better this past weekend, even though he won 100%. Um, John Dixon, I mentioned, is playing well. Not sure I'd say high level right now, but playing well. Cam Smith struggling. R.J. Roderick struggling. Hadn't seen enough out of Shiloh Sanders to say. But I, I just, you know, they need to, you know, you can't go – I said this last week before the game, you can't go play with two or three. Um, and so maybe Jalen Dickerson's an answer. I mean, Will Muschamp has always been really high on Jalen Dickerson, so, so maybe he's an answer. But, yeah, I mean, statistically, if you, if you take away some of the big, big plays they've given up, Yardage-wise, they'd be up there. And, and like I said, Florida only had 380 yards. I mean, that was sort of a, an interesting deal, you know. <laughs> they didn't have um, – you know, they didn't have that many yards. Uh, after having 642 against Ole Miss, which Ole Miss is 
you know, really, really not that good on defense, but um, actually really good on offense. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, so, I mean, you look at it and it's, it's like, you know, if you're the Gamecocks right now, 57th in a total offense, 28th in total defense through two games. Those numbers statistically are actually a lot higher than, you know, they have been historically. You know, they've just lost to two teams that are pretty good. You know, I'm not saying Tennessee is great. Uh, I think Florida is a contender for the division. I don't know if they'll beat Georgia, but I think they're really good. Um, We'll see about Tennessee this weekend. And Tennessee's got a big challenging schedule coming up. But they've lost to two teams that I I would not call poor. You lose this weekend, I don't care where you're ranked statistically. Uh, to me, uh, uh, that that's that would be uh, – you remember the scene in Ghostbusters? And I've, I've been citing Ghostbusters a lot. I, saw, I talked about Ghostbusters 2 and the slime under the city yesterday. I'm going to talk about the scene where he goes uh, – Egon goes, that would be bad. And uh, Finkman goes, I'm, I'm real fuzzy on this whole good, bad thing. It's just the Vanderbilt loss, that would be bad. That would be bad. I mean, that that's the type of deal where you, you just can't lose it. You just can't lose it. But, you know, you're right about the stats, Mark. I mean, they're they're right there. Tim says, I listened to the show yesterday and heard the guy state something to the effect that older Gamecock fans accept losing and younger Spurrier fans demand winning. I'm in my mid-40s and don't feel like most of us accept losing. I'm in my mid-40s too, and I'm with you. I think the standards have changed. In my time, we've seen a coach run off too soon in a scandal, a coach hired basically to be an interim coach, a coach do great things but with scandals and then die, a Division II coach overmatched in every way to enter the SEC era, coach miserably fail, a legend coach build the program back up but couldn't sustain success, and another coach, legend coach takes us to new heights, but the end of the program was a mess. I've seen a lot of crap. I, as an older fan, realize this is an easy job and I'm willing to be patient, because it's something we normally don't do. Spurrier got a pass for six years because of who he was, and rightfully so. And in that time, I heard a lot of fans say, if he can't do it, then no one can. I never believed that, that Spurrier was – if he couldn't do it, no one can. I'm glad they won the East, and I'm glad things changed because he actually did, you know, have a great career because I've always liked Steve Spurrier. But, you know, let's say he'd have hung it up after 08 or whatever, and they'd have brought somebody else in here who knows – what they would have done. Uh, I'm a must champ for supporter and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm beginning to waver, but we need to let the season play out. A lot of good can happen in eight games. And as a program, it's in our best interest for him to succeed, to love the show. Keep up the great work, Tim. Tim, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take one thing and I agree with all of what you said there. Uh, and I've seen all that in my time too, you know, and, and I was kind of, I'm 43. So like the, the Morrison, the, the early Morrison eras when I kind of started coming on board, um, and, uh, I think I, I agree. A lot of good can happen in eight games as a program and it is in our best interest for him to succeed. Yes, you are absolutely right. It is not, uh, in anybody's best interest to be making a coaching change. Uh, and, and, and it is not in anybody's best interest, you know, to just change for the sake of changing. Um, like some programs do. I don't think we're at that point, though. I think we're at a crossroads. Um, but I absolutely agree with you. The best thing for South Carolina is Will Muschamp has a great 
next eight games, they win a lot of them. They get to a bowl, and the program's starting to cycle back up. And next time you get a shot at Tennessee and Florida, which you will last year, yeah, go out and win them. Um, you know, that's just kind of the deal. I mean, and that the the, the and, and it kind of hit me this week, you know, that because these two games were the first of the season, you kind of can kind of admit right now that within the division, Carolina's getting passed a little bit. You know, I think it takes more than one year and more than one win. Um, but you see Florida in the top five, Tennessee in the top 15, both are undefeated. Carolina's at 0-2 right now. They've lost five straight combined to those two schools. I mean, you, I think you can make a case for that. Um, and it's going to take Carolina going and beating some teams they've never beaten, which, hey, <laughs> first time for everything, right? Um you know, to salvage this year. But I agree. It's it's in everybody's best interest for Will Muschamp to turn it around and succeed. That's just – then you just keep right on going. You know, you don't you don't worry about it. There's no upheaval. Young players get better, et cetera. Noah says, JC, keep up the five-star podcast. It's a nice relief from everything going on. Sometimes I can't read, guys. Looking ahead, the stretch of the schedule against the SEC West, it actually looks manageable. Yeah, I've been saying that. I think the Gamecocks win two of three of those games, especially with Auburn's struggles and LSU's roster turnover. If the Gamecocks beat Vanderbilt, do you think this is a realistic expectation? And if so, which West teams do you think Carolina has the best chance to beat? I'd, I'd go with Auburn and A&M right now, and that sounds weird because those two are at home. Uh, and there's not a huge home field advantage. But uh, I'll say this, for those of you that went to the Tennessee game, you know, they and I was told, and, and if I'm wrong, shoot me an email and correct me, but it was relatively loud for the size crowd they had. And so, you know, crowd noise is crowd noise, but, you know, it's still a home game. You know, I think Auburn gets well and beats Arkansas this weekend. You know, they're going to come to town – wanting to really get well against the Gamecocks. And I just don't know that those two teams are that far apart this year, especially with Auburn's offensive line issues. I mean, Florida was supposed to have some own line issues, but you look at those cats are all seniors and juniors. One of them played at Mississippi state for Mullen and they weren't great, but they're all big physical. Auburn's just, you know, Auburn's just trying to kind of piece it together right now up front. And their defense is really, really good. Kevin Steele's an excellent defensive coordinator, but, you know, they're not the defense they were last year. So they're not the team they were last year. And so Auburn, you know, I think they got a shot. And then I I, I think Texas A&M, with all the opt-outs and the issues and all that, and then the fact this was supposed to be their year and they've already gone and played Alabama and just gotten blown off the map, uh, I think A&M is beatable. But I, I think A&M, you know, I think if Carolina played A&M kind of earlier – Maybe they'd have played them right after they played Georgia where they played Florida. Um, it'd have been closer last year, but that was by the time Carolina rolled out to college station, there was no hope. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, I think them coming to South Carolina, that could happen. Um, so I'd say those two, I think Ole Miss on the road certainly is beatable, but you know, their offense obviously against a pretty good Kentucky defense went up and down the field there. We'll see how they do against Bama, but they're scoring, obviously scoring a bunch of points, and it's out there. Maybe it's a game a lot like the previous year where it's in the 40s or whatever. But, you know, a way to combat that, folks, is to run offense like Mike Bobo does, you know, and 
run eight minutes off the clock. <laughs> you know, Steve and Steve Spurrier, as we continue to be nostalgic about him, Steve Spurrier won a lot of football games in South Carolina doing just that. I mean, now Spurrier probably would have sped it up at the end, as we all know. But uh, that was uh, that was um, that was kind of his mo. You know, was getting it getting it going. But I, I you know, I yeah, I, I think just based on the first two weeks and things can change. You know, uh, we may look and Auburn may stomp Arkansas and then you know start to play out their minds as Auburn does sometimes. Uh, and beat the Gamecocks, but I think as it as it stands right now, there's that the South Carolina doesn't look like as big of an underdog in those games as it was, and and you know LSU did turn over their roster. I thought I thought they got up off the mat pretty well against Vandy, and now they have a game move this weekend. Missouri, they have to go to Columbia, Missouri. So South Carolina is one of only like three more home games for LSU this year. It's kind of weird, uh, but they'll be LSU will be. Let me let me look at this real quick. I'm gonna, I'm going to look up the uh, the old LSU football schedule to see who they play the week before they play Carolina. So the, so they've got uh, they've got Florida in the swamp the week before they play the Gamecocks. So we'll kind of see what the deal is there. Um, and it's interesting, you know, all these teams <laughs> this year. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, Noah, I think that that could be a possible, um, you know, possible bright spot is that the the West games look, you know, a little more manageable, you know, and and I think I think if Carolina is going to Oxford, Mississippi at three and three or better, you know, there's renewed hope, a lot more renewed hope in Columbia. Got to win this weekend though. All right, so Thomas says, first let me say that I did not watch the game Saturday, nor did I DVR it, so I can rewatch it later. I haven't seen anything other than a couple of highlights on Instagram. I asked both of these things on Big Spur, just out of curiosity. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Now it's like the offense was okay, but it was tough to watch late. Are elite-level skill players interested in playing for a huddle-up, slow-paced, ball-control type of offense, especially given the abundance of options for spreading it out? up-tempo offenses that allow more opportunity. I'm skeptical. I hope there's a lot of hope in the changes Bobo has made. I know there's a lot of hope, but it seems like a relatively boring offense, even if it's very capable of delivering a drive seven, eight, 70 yards, seven-minute window. I know wide receiver's not good. I get that, but you still have to attempt to move faster than that. And I think it's obvious, especially given the comments that followed, that Muschamp is still hindering the offense and putting demands such as slow down. Um... No. Mike Bobo has enough of a history on offense to where he's doing this for this year. Uh, This is not a permanent deal. Um, I think as they get more playmakers, he'll be fine. Uh, You know, you watch Colorado State, they'd go vertical, go tempo, all kinds of different things. They just can't right now. Um, And wide receiver recruiting – should be better regardless. There are in-state kids every every year – that go elsewhere, guys they could have had every year that go elsewhere. I mean, you know, Zay Flowers at Boston College, Arturo Freeman was his coach, and they begged him to take him. Um, go check him out, you know. I mean, Jalen Hyatt was a guy like that. They have a big kid at Virginia that was an in-state kid they could have gotten. Um, I don't I don't think wide receiver needs to be like this. And I still think there's some guys that are playing wide receiver right now that could be better. 
I do. Um, but, you know, I, I think that you're kind of just – when you watch the offense, it, it's actually – it's a good-looking offense. I mean, because they execute, they pick up fourth downs, they pick up third downs. Um, it's not – it's it's not it's not boring, I guess. Now the end of the game, we've talked that to death. I don't know, you know, I don't know what happens. Special teams currently ranks dead last in the league in punt returns and kickoff returns. They hadn't had very many. Um, our combined total return yards are negative one. It's two games, but still, that's brutal. They haven't they had had any chances uh, earlier. Must champs tenure when special teams weren't very good. It was linked to depth and the need to recruit better athletes. Your stance is that recruiting is not an issue with this program. I also know a lot of people that believe Kyle Krantz deserved the job of special teams coordinator. If we've added depth and talent to the roster, why is it a struggle for us to get anywhere in the return game? It seems like it either has to be connected to recruiting and depth or coaching. No. Return game, if you look around the country, is related to returners and return opportunities. Um, The thing that makes your special teams better when you're talking about more depth is like your coverage units, which – at times have been atrocious over the years and that have gotten better under Muschamp because they got more guys that can run and hit. Um, I agree that special teams is not good right now. It's not what I call good. I of Parker White. Kai Kroger needs to punt the ball better. Uh, I think there's been some mistakes in the coverage. It's not so much athletes. Uh, and I think too, you know, Shy Smith hasn't had that many opportunities. And then, you know, it seems like he's fair catching it a lot, you know, because you can get it at the 25. And then he had the mistake where he brought it out at the one the other day against Florida. So, again, that's a mistake. Uh, I don't think Jamie Robinson's done anything but fair catch the ball, and then they had the fumble against Tennessee. So give them a chance. And I'll also say this, you know, better recruiting overall doesn't always mean you have a great return man. That's just uh, how it is. I tend to believe Shy Smith returning kickoffs and whoever else they have back there, Joyner or whoever, uh, would be fine. Uh, and I tend to believe that Jamie Robinson's got a chance to be really good. But that's not necessarily when, when we talk about recruiting in depth uh, on special teams. Uh, it's not necessarily about, you know, the, the actual return statistics. It's about coverage and things like that, which I think honestly leaves a lot to be desired so far this year. But I don't think it has anything to do with the athletes. I think it's it's like they've pointed it out in the post game that was a mistake, et cetera. Thanks for your question, Thomas. Dom says, JC, I'm a new listener and a big fan. Thank you, Dom. You made a lot of positive points after both losses this season, which I agree with you. And there are some positive things from the two games so far. My problem is it seems like the last few seasons, majority of games, I find myself along with others saying we played well, but if only we get this break or if this certain play didn't happen, we would have won. At one point, is it beyond bad luck and a pattern of losing mentally in play? I think we're beyond unlucky. And under Muschamp, we've just been losers. What are your thoughts on this and how we can change the pattern? The only way to change the pattern is to win. But I agree with you completely. Um, And, you know, if I just sat here on the podcast and talked about how much things suck, it wouldn't be a very good podcast. Um, And and I think I try to point out the problems, too. And and I think, you know, last year the, the problems at the end were the offense just stunk. It was just terrible. I mean, A&M and Clemson were, I mean, better teams than Carolina. But it was just embarrassing because, you you know, no matter what the defense did in those games, you had no shot. You lost to App State. Um, you know, and, and so 
that was kind of a, a period in Carolina football history where you just the first time in a long time I've just rolled out there going they have no shot. Um, just kind of relaxed and watched the games like oh, oh well this happens. That's the first time in a long time that's happened. Even the three and nine team under Sean Elliott after Spurrier quit showed some heart and uh, played some teams really close. But yeah, you're right. Um, I, I agree with all of this. If you only got this break or this certain play didn't happen, you'd have won. And yeah, that's true. And, and you know, winning programs they seem to get the breaks. Uh, and when South Carolina was winning, they had a lot of games where they got the breaks. I mean. Think about the 2011 Georgia game. You know, Mike Bobo's offense in that game, nobody talks about this, against a really, really good Carolina defense. That, that 2011 defense was nasty. Think about the players on that defense. Stephon Gilmore, Antonio Allen, Melvin Ingram, Jadevian Clowney, Devin Taylor. I think Travian Robertson was still there. Um, you know, and on offense, you had Alshon Jeffrey and Marcus Lattimore. I mean, it's a good team. Well, you know, in that game, Georgia was coming off a loss, I think, to Boise. They lost to Boise. And they needed that one. And, and they ended up winning the East anyway. But, you know, Carolina ended up having two, two, two defensive touchdowns and a fake punt for a touchdown, 21 points on special teams and defense. Won the game 45-42. Um, and that was a good team. And Georgia at the time was struggling. Now, Georgia ended up – making it to the dome because of their schedule that year. But it, um, you know, there have been some breaks that have gone Carolina's way um, at times. But but the good teams, the breaks go their way most of the time. You know, and, and look, you know, the Georgia game last year in Athens, Carolina got all the breaks. But that doesn't happen all the time, you know, or most of the time. You know, most of the time you're sitting there going, man, if this – there's a lot of ifs. And it goes back, I think, I think where the thing started to deteriorate again was 2018 at Florida. You're sitting there at five and three. Just come back and beat, you know, uh, Ole Miss on the road. Before that, you'd come back and beat Tennessee. And that Tennessee had kind of gotten hot in the middle of the season, beat Auburn or whatever, two good wins. You go down there, and Florida's coming off a 21-point home loss to Missouri, you know, a team you had beaten earlier in the year. And you're up 31-14. They can't seem to stop your offense. Defense is playing a tough, gritty game. Then all of a sudden, they start lining up and running, and they get one play where they could, Felipe Franks completes a pass, and the guy comes down with it, and he probably did fumble when you look at it. But they didn't rule it a fumble. Otherwise, J.C. Horn's streaking towards the end zone, and, and that's probably it. And then they get momentum and just start running it, running it, running it, and they stop the offense and they come back and win. And then after that, it's just been like, eh, you know, what else could go wrong within the course of a game? You know, you think back, I'll even say you think back to the Clemson game in 2018, Carolina goes up and down the field all night. Jake Bentley throws for 500 yards. Well, yeah, it it was a 21-point loss, but – you know, what happened in the red zone those two times where, where you're moving it, moving it, moving it, and you just stall. Otherwise, that's a 56-49 one. And it may have been better than that, you know. You think about Clemson and the times they've lost. I think about that Pitt game a few years ago where you know, Pitt just outscored them, you know. And and, and so that could that, that was a woulda, shoulda, coulda. Uh, even though Carolina couldn't stop Clemson on defense, you have an opportunity. You sell out your tickets to the belt bowl. You get shut out. 
the next year you have a chance to just forget about the bowl game the previous year and you blow an 11 point lead to North Carolina, a team that went three and nine the year before. You lose by 20 to Missouri with a hundred yard pick six. You know, you blow another lead against Florida, you lose to App State, you know, and a lot of these games got, you know, Dom, you're right. You know, App State last year, Missouri last year, Florida last year, North Carolina last year. That's four four games I just rattled off that, you know, Carolina had its chances. Um, even against Bama, you know, you got the, the mistake on the uh, – it was a BS call, but on the fake field goal. that could have changed the momentum of the game. You couldn't score at the, at the end of the half. I mean, you're right. It's been a woulda, coulda, shoulda. They, they, you know – there was a bad stretch last year. You know, the, the A&M and Clemson games to end last year were bad. Pack it in kind of terrible. But other than that, they, they've had some moments where they've played well. Just mistakes, mistakes. And that, that piles up. And when I say the losses are piling up, they are. And it becomes mental after a while. And that's why they got to win this weekend or it's going to start to unravel. Let's just be honest. All right. OC says, I think the biggest problem is lack of chemistry between the wide receivers and the QB1. This is the result of coaches playing politics and not declaring a quarterback early in the summer, thus allowing the players to develop synergy with Hill. Hill is by and large making the correct reads and accurate throws. What you are seeing is just the nuances of throwing and catching. It takes reps to make those connections at game speed by splitting time and not declaring a QB1. That hurt us. I've not seen anyone else make this observation. Of course, the message boards are a disaster right now. I disagree. Um, because Colin Hill and the receiver spent all summer getting the chemistry together, and you know he was getting a big chunk of reps. Um, um, you know, so, so I, I don't know that I don't know that that should be an issue, and, and I think that you know I don't know I just don't think that should be an issue, um, and I think that. When you run an offense like Carolina's where you're, you know, you're just trying to kind of march down the field and score. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to be limited in your opportunities just because you're not going fast, fast, fast. Um, you know, one little incompletion here or there, you know, on a key play will kill you. It seems like a much bigger deal than it is. But, um, you know, and look, I, I don't, you know, Maybe Colin Hill not having spring, but I don't think he was cleared for spring anyway. But, yeah, they, and they've had the ball. You know, they were able to work with the ball and have kind of a mini camp too. So, they, they've been working out together for a while. I, th- I think what it is, O.C., is I think it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's mental with the receivers. And I think it's been mental with these guys, you know. I mean, and they're different guys than there were. Josh Van led the SEC in drops last year. And that's just another thing, just like the previous subject we were talking about, where, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you've you got to be able to catch the daggone ball, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. But I, I don't I don't know that chemistry between Hill and the receivers is a problem because, you know, there's no lack of chemistry between Hill and the backs or Hill and the tight ends, although, you know, Muse did drop one against Tennessee and but I, you know, I, I think he gets the ball where it needs to be. I, I just think I think, and it hits them in the hands. They should catch it. But you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not necessarily buying that. I, I appreciate your email though, and I'm not saying. 
I'm not just completely dismissing it offhand, but I, I just knowing what I know, I just don't think that happened. Um, and Hill is making the correct reads and accurate throws. I got lit up on the message board the other day because I said had, said had Helensky started the game, the score would have been something like 52 to seven. And that sounded like a shot at, at Ryan, and it wasn't. It was just that, you know, South Carolina stayed in that football game against Florida because they were able to run that offense successfully and hold on to the ball and keep Florida's offense off the field. You know, my feeling was there had been a lot more three and outs with a guy that, you know, anybody, not just Ryan, that couldn't run the offense correctly. Uh, therefore, ergo, you know, Florida would have more chances and, and Florida would have won the game going away. Um, because I think, you know, sometimes on Saturday, South Carolina's best defense was his offense. So we'll see kind of happen. The Braves are winning. That's good. I don't know if how many of you are Braves fans out there, but I'm, I'm a Braves fan. So that's at least one team that's out there doing well, you know, trying to make the World Series in this shortened season. So that's good. Uh, anyway, sorry again for uh, the delay this week. Um, as far as the late episode, this time I, I had something to do and had to do JB and Goldwater before. Got a JC and Morgan coming out later, but um, wanted to get you guys an episode today. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast with JC Sherbert. Hope everyone has a wonderful Wednesday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.